to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Bullock, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, resilience, COVID, emergency management, crisis management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Many of you know that I was at the Continuity Resilience Today conference uh, in Toronto early November, I believe it was, uh, November 16th and 17th, maybe. Uh, It seems to be ringing a bell. And uh, sometimes you run into people that you've had a chat with before. And today is one of those days who suggested a really interesting topic, and I can't wait to uh, talk about it. But I'd like to welcome back for his second appearance on the show, Vito Mangaliardi. I hope I said that right. <laughs> Vito, welcome back. Thanks you. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, and it's Mangaliardi, but that's okay. You are uh, you, you get an A minus for that. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. So, Vito. Thanks for having me back and exploring this topic with me, which I think will be great interest to your to your audience. Yeah, I thought it was rather interesting when you suggested it at the CRT conference. So that's why I thought, okay, well, let's reach out and get Vito back and we'll talk about it. Before we jump in into the topic, though, could you take a, a quick minute or two and talk about yourself, what you do? and For sure, Alex. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm the, currently the Senior Manager of Business Continuity at Metrolinx. Uh, I run their Business Continuity program uh, for the last five years. Prior to that, I spent a good 20 years as a director of emergency management and business continuity in the telecom sector. Um, I do have uh, a life sentence to this practice of business continuity planning, uh, crisis management, ITDR, incident management. So it's uh, something that uh, I've embraced as a large chunk of my career. Uh, also, for the last 32 months, I was incident commander for the COVID-19 threat at Metrolinx. So that was something new and expansive that uh, we're always learning from. I have experience in both public and private sectors uh, in nuclear, automotive, engineering, environmental, other transportation. So I, I've taken the practice of business continuity and applied it into a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, uh, thanks to people like Alex, I get invited to share my thoughts and ideas uh, at, a, at a management level for people to learn from. And today's topic is going to be something that uh, I'm sure uh, will you'll be able to take away and ask these questions within your organization. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. And well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. And this is an interesting topic and we're going to be talking about fit for duty, business continuity and emergency responders. I'm going to jump straight in and ask the most obvious question. What do you mean by fit for duty? So uh, I'm going to give you the short answer, then give you the official answer. So Fit for duty simply means that you are able to uh, engage with your employer in the work that you've been hired to do, do it safely and do it successfully, uh, you know, in meeting the business or operational requirements. That's a very, now the official term uh, I'm going to share with you is fit for duty means that an individual is in a physical, mental, and emotional state that enables the employee to perform the essential tasks of his or or her work assignment. The fitness ensures the work is completed in a manner that does not threaten the safety or health of oneself, coworkers, property, or the public at large. And that is the official fit for duty uh, that I've seen that I I think that we're going to use for today's uh, episode. Is that a subset of, um, and it, it just came to mind as you were reading, a subset of a code of conduct policy? Or is it taking it a step further now? We're, we're going further than that. Yeah. So my recommendation there is to really take a look at the uh, um, Occupational Safety Act, where it talks about employees uh, coming into the workplace uh, and not uh, creating an unsafe environment. 
And I think, you know, so if you know, um, if we take COVID, for example, if I'm in the office wearing my mask and the person next to me to three meters away is sneezing, doesn't have a mask on, I may raise my hand and say, I think I'm in an unsafe environment, right? And then that employee would then be uh, challenged about their health. You could call in Ministry of Labor. It's no different than someone using uh, tools in an unsafe environment that could risk yourself or the business or themselves, right? Right. So uh, it, I think the best place to drill down into that is to take a look at the uh, Health and Safety uh, Act. Different sections in there uh, can speak to this particular point about employment and doing things safely and right. And the fit for duty kind of stems off that since uh, really since cannabis has been uh, legalized in Canada. Well, how does cannabis come into it? Because it's well, legal now. So how, how well, does that it is legal now? And that's that's the whole thing. Uh, we want to make sure that our employees are fit for duty um, to do their job. So if we think about what's what does it mean to be not, you know, to, to be unfit for duty? It's the reverse. You know, unfit for duty means you are unable to perform the duties of your office grade, uh, whatever your assignments are due to your illness or injury to be found unfit for duty. You must have a medical condition or disqualifies you from fitness for service. And we think about cannabis very simply. That's just one of many things that can make you unfit for duty. But since cannabis has been uh, legalized and cannabis is a lingering type of, uh, of drug I will use, um, you know, you can enjoy it on a Saturday night or any weeknight, but you've still got to go to work the next day. It's no different than alcohol and mm -hmm. some other things that uh, can be considered uh um, other drugs and even something as fatigue, you know, should you be going into the office if you're fatigued? So uh, then fit for duty came into, well, how does that fit in with uh, uh, companies, organizations that have frontline staff, uh, you know, out in the public, uh, they need to be, uh, be clear and thought and mind and, and physically to address whatever. So now you're hearing that law enforcement, you know, um, some organizations have zero tolerance. Some have some rules. For example, some law enforcement agencies I've read uh, have zero tolerance means you can't have, you know, you have to be fit for duty, period. And, and if if you are using cannabis as a specific to your question, you cannot re return to work for 30 days. And then you remain unpaid for 30 days as an example, right? So it depends on the nature of your work, what your deliverable are, uh, how, how much you interact <clears throat> with public. Um, recently we had a bus driver that was, uh, was charged with, uh, alcoholism. He was driving, um, impaired school bus full of kids, right? He was not fit for duty. If you want to apply that term to mm -hmm. it, right? It's, it's interesting. You mentioned, mentioned fatigue and where we are right now, hopefully coming out of COVID, how would this, you know, impact doctors and nurses and other staff that, are fatigued and have nothing to do with cannabis or alcohol or anything else. It is work fatigue. How would that uh, apply to them? Because if we took all those nurses and doctors away who were fatigued, oh my goodness, we would be in such worse shape than we are now. Yeah, that's a really good question. An excellent point, Alex. It all boils down to uh, what is the tolerance of the organization? So um, many organizations, um, already now have an official what I would call fit for duty policy. And these policies are developed um, by the HR, the legal departments. Uh, if you have, uh, um, if you have a privacy office, they come together and they've, they've developed these fit for duty policies. Now um, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, there may be certain circumstances where the introduction of such a policy does not make sense. But you are absolutely right. I cannot specifically answer that, but I can only imagine mm -hmm. the fatigue, the mental stress, the, the physical stress, um, you know, uh, these uh, frontline responders and how that may affect their work. That's why we we need to thank them because they are pull, they are just amazing people. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what happens in the background there, but uh, I'm sure that uh, this is definitely on the radar. Um, yeah. I, it, I, I, I've got thinking now that um, how do you go about identifying someone who's not fit for duty? Because things like someone showing up who is uh, um, still 
inebriated, it's going to be obvious. Someone who's on uh, drugs, it could be obvious. But someone with fatigue, uh, like we just talked about, or someone who is, uh, as you gave a good example, had a couple of drinks the night before, but is coming in still performing just fine, doesn't show any difference. How do you go about identifying that that person can still be an issue? How do you how do you identify that? So my thoughts on this, and and just for the record, Alex, I'm not a um, uh, as you know, I'm a business continuity. Uh, emergency management professional, I always suggest you know, doing, uh, bringing in the right people to to process some of this from from your organization. Uh, but no different than some of current policies we have at work. I mean, uh, if you as a manager, uh, a people manager, see an employee that's not performing their work correctly or unsafely, you need to uh, ask some questions about that. I mean, you know, like if an employee comes into work and they're coughing extensively and sneezing, you may say, well, what are you doing at the office? You need to be home resting, <laughs> you know, and their argument is, well, I only, I'm an, I only get paid hourly. If I don't come to work, I can't get paid. I can't pay my rent. Well, you're introducing a, a risk environment. So the first line of defense really in a, an informal environment is the frontline manager, you know, or other employees raising awareness to a health issue that can mean several different things and the impact that they may have on doing their jobs. Now, we swing to the other end of the scale. If we think about law enforcement, some uh, transit operators, um, they, um, you know, they're aware through observation, um, but they also have uh, testing protocols. And this is where the policy comes in to say, hey, Alex, I, uh, I think you're not behaving properly. You're about to uh, be at the front line with public. Um, I'm concerned. Uh, do you want to talk about it? Right. And if you continue to argue with me that, uh, no, I'm good to go, then I'm going to say that's great. Uh, as per our, our fitness for duty policy, we've hired, a, we have engaged a third party, um, a third party certified uh, organization that is going to do some breathalyzer tests with you or some other tests to confirm that you are good to go. And uh, once we receive those results and those results have been reviewed by a doctor, you know, then allow you back and we'll pay you to stay home now for the next few days until those results come in. But uh, we need to ensure that you're healthy and fit for duty. So it's not a, a case of just me walking up to Vito and saying, I don't think you're fit for duty. Go away. Go home. Well, there, well, there's I, a, a bigger process behind it to to support the the possibility of the person not being fit for duty. Yeah, the the you are right. Think of it like we've always been concerned about staff coming to work and not doing their jobs if they're not healthy. It, it, it's something that's already always been there. The fit for duty comes in from a, for more, a, a more formalized perspective where you, uh, you want organizations to be, need to be very diligent, especially if we have uh, staff um, interacting with people or operating you know, heavy-duty equipment, however you define that. And are you introducing risks to your empl other employees or the public at large? Because that would be a huge liability to the organization if I allowed you, Alex, to continue to come to work knowing that you're caregiving at home for your parents, you're locking sleep, you're pulling extra shifts at work. You're not thinking clear. And, you know, I value as an employee, but I just don't want you here, right, until you, mm. you know, are able. And then you, you may have to introduce... The whole point behind this as well is not to, I don't want to use the words beat people up. The whole idea is to help them. You know, employees are valuable to any organization. And if, if you you or someone is experiencing some issues, short-term or long-term, um, we have EAP programs. We provide external assistance. You know, we, we want you to get out of this funk that you might be in. If it's a long-term funk, of course, it's different if you went got married on the weekend and you're showing up to work on Tuesday. But these are chronic issues for some individuals that we need to manage as organizations for the right reasons. And really, that's about the safety of, of other staff, safety in the workplace, and safety of the products and services you provide to those customers uh, that, that, that purchase them from you. So what are the impacts, because <clears throat> I want to tie this to business continuity soon, um, and crisis management, because I know you've got some um, opinions there. How how do you um, uh, oh and of course as I said that that's all of a sudden that pops into my mind of course 
that question. So I'll just go there and I'll okay. think of the other one afterwards. How do we tie this back to business continuity and crisis management? Are we as business continuity people or as an organization, should we be questioning people that are, let's say, is the crisis management team lead? You know, hey, is is she fit for duty? Is he fit for duty? How do we tie that back to business continuity and crisis management and, and emergency management? Well, this is where I, this is where this topic and this concern crossed my desk. Uh, I've been involved in business continuity for quite a while. Um, and I'll think about, uh, uh, I hate bringing up 9-11, but I will, as an, by example. Um, you know, when the towers had gone down and there's fatalities everywhere, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of very important organizations in those towers relied on technology and automation, data centers. So, you know, they tried to get, you know, get the team together may, that may not even have been on site and said, we need to recover our applications in the data center. And they had a lot, and some organizations had challenges engaging those people to do that work because they were distraught over the loss of their colleagues in the towers. Mm. So they would not be fit for duty. And that's kind of where I felt I experienced that the very first time, um, you know, from, from a hands-on point of view, because at that time we were managing traffic into the U.S. from a telecom perspective and, you couldn't find people. People were just like in awe about what had happened. And so really, this gets into, if you think about from an IT point of view, we have specialized equipment, technology, special tools. You know, you may have a very significant uh, uh, failure going on in your data center, you know, server closet, whatever. You need to, you know, you have a, you have a playbook, a DR plan, if you wish, and you, you know, the manager calls up four or five folks and says, meet me at the data center. We got to, got to fix this big problem. Now, if it's, this is occurring any time of the day and it could be Saturday night, uh, you know, if people are at work, it's a bit, a bit of a different story. It really ties to after hours or shift individuals or people that you need to call in just because of, of load workload. You know, you need, you need, we need to be careful that these individuals that, uh, listed in these plans and these response plans when we're engaging them are fit for duty because now they're coming in and under adverse conditions. It's no different than the fire department, which is why the fire department keeps all the firemen in one place because they're, you know, they want to, I don't want to use the word monitor them. They're all doing the right things to be in a state of readiness. So when the mm -hmm. alarm bell goes off, away they go. The rest of us in business continuity and emergency management, or sorry, uh, business continuity and ITDR, you know, we're, we're usually at home when these things are happening, something happens, you call the team in and away you go. But we need to do a little bit of a quality on their ability to perform that emergency work, activate the plans, lead those plans. Um, if you have a leader that's a little off, uh, that could be very negative. I would rather ask, ask the question and I tell my employees or I suggest individuals, you know, if employees... Unless you're paying them to be on call where they must be ready for action, then, you know, they have an obligation to perform and called upon. But if you are just relying on the responders in your plan when things aren't going right and you're having failures and you call them, uh, get them on a bridge, call them around a table, you know, you know, I always check in with everybody. How's everybody doing? You know, uh, you know, are we are we ready to do this? Are you uncomfortable? Like, I would rather have my respond team, my responding team declare that, hey, I'm just celebrating my, I was, I've been out and I, I, I'm going to decline this because I've just not, we use the word, I'm not fit to do this right now. And no questions asked, go to the backup on the list and, and try to engage them. So I think, you know, it's really around when you think about the concept of fire department, police department, emergency services, those guys, you know, are regulated now with this. And do we really need to extend this to the emergency management, business continuity, and even incident management? And when you think about incident management to your question, if you're running an emergency operations center, you know, you usually have breakout rooms, you know, anti like rooms where you can go rest if you're fatigued. You do things in real time. I need Alex to be there for 18 hours a day. And, it, you know, I don't want him to drive home after 18 hours. I'm going to get him a hotel across the street. He's going to go walk across the street and rest and come back the next day. Also, if, if Alex's family, you maybe you've got a, a new a new family or you're a new puppy and you've got home responsibilities, you know, I've got to help you balance that. So I may, you know, as an organization may take staff that are doing unessential tasks at time of incident, 
or hire an organization to come in and help your family while you're working for me. Because the more comfortable you are and your mind is clear, you can then focus in on your tasks, you know, uh, without being distracted, which is really the key word. So, you know, there's a lot of things here. There's even the mental health issues that you experience, you know, coming out of COVID and, and, and how things can trigger you. You have, you know, respectfully abusive home environments that, you know, can be very taxing on an individual, you know. So there's lots of reasons that an employee are not fit for duty. Uh, so even if it's business continuity, incident management, you know, our space, our realm, these are very important people that we've identified as essential in our planning. And if they're going to be essential, we need to make sure that they are prepared to deliver their work, you know, when we need them to. You you brought up an interesting point where you used yourself as the example. So I'll use you as the example here where you're identifying team members who um, can't participate and you need a backup and things like that. Or uh, after a time, you know, they need to be replaced. You know, hey, you've been here 18 hours, you know, go to a hotel, those kind of things. Who's checking you? (laughs) <laughs> when do you know when you need a break and someone else needs to step in? Yeah, that's that's also a very good question. I mean, the answer to that is we're we're all human beings. We're all made differently and we all operate differently. Uh, some people are able to absorb more uh, pain and shock or, you know, uh, stressful situations than other. And I think uh we all have to be responsible for our own uh, mental health and management under these scenarios. And um, we need to, uh, we need to make sure that, you know, like with any incident, you're one or two, three deep on incident management, the players on your team, this is all done by design and it should be something that is managed as part of the incident management protocol. You know, you, you, you develop some cadence around, okay, you know, we're going to run, we're going to do 10 hour shifts. We all have backups. Who doesn't have a backup? Well, I don't have a backup. Well, you better get a backup, you know, while you're on shift, find somebody. You have to mm-hmm. definitely um, premeditate those actions. It should be part of your playbook. I mean, this is not something that we should be second guessing and doing sort of on the fly. And right. I was looking at your plan and, you know, which we do look at our, many plans in our work. We, we raise those questions about, you know, are they the right people? And it's not, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of things in the background that can make you the wrong person, but we, you know, you have to try to balance, you know, uh, the skill set and the work at time of incident and, uh, and caregivers at home is we're seeing a lot more employees, you know, managing a mother-in-law, mother-in-law in the house. And, you know, they, they do their day job, but they go home and, you know, they can't be distracted. So we, we then ask the question, are they the person to have in your plan? anyways because you always look at when you're developing these plans you say are there are they're the right people from a work perspective but you don't you need to understand are they the right person holistically to can i call them at three in the morning and can they show up because there's never the right time for a crisis but i know back to the original question you know that's uh, i just find that there are leaders that are have the ability to lead longer and um that's a good and bad thing because sometimes you don't follow your own rules. Uh, you don't want to leave, um, you know, an incident command role because, you know, it's game day, a lot of stuff's happening, but I think a sign of a good leader is stepping back and recharging, you know, and, and, and handing everything off to somebody coming in. Yeah. So uh, quite often, and I've seen it and I, I'm almost guaranteed you've seen it is the first incident manager or command person in command doesn't want to give up that command when things are now being addressed and, you know, decisions are being made. It's like, well, no, I can't leave now. Meanwhile, they may have been there, you know, that 18 hour, like the example you used. And it's like, you know, after those 18 hours, you're just not going to be effective, but they don't want to give up that, that, uh, that position, that, that uh, leadership role. Sure. Yep. For sure. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Vito today on the topic of, and I just covered it up, fit for duty, business continuity, and emergency responders. And we will be right back. (music) 
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, Small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking about fit for duty for business continuity emergency management with Vito Mangiliardi. Vito, great first segment. Uh, lots of really different perspectives and i hope people are really thinking about it here um i had a couple of questions uh for you from uh what you were saying near the end of the first segment and my first one is so you can have someone on your team who uh certainly displays fit for duty they've been involved they participated in exercises they've helped update plans but you find that when they are really in the thick of a real crisis for real now they aren't the best person to be there and they do have a backup but that backup's not ready for six you know can't be on site let's say for six hours um because they're covering for something else you know they have other things to to uh arrange so they can commit what happens when you identify someone in a crisis you know for all intents and purposes were fantastic but now that the pressure's on they're not right for that role what do you do Good question, Alex, for sure. I know when we do tabletop exercises with the, you know, the teams, the responders, the stakeholders, you don't really see the behaviors of, of a real incident. And uh, when a real incident does happen, uh, people do change. I mean, I've seen, mm-hmm. uh, I think about the big power outages we've had in the past years. Uh, certain responders say, I'm out. Uh, I've, got, uh, I've got a family, uh, y- young kids at home. We, we live in the country. We have no power. That's my priority right now. So, you know, very capable person, but they're just not in it for today. Now, um, when we like to believe, and I'm speaking from a program management point of view, and then I'll put my plan owner hat on. You'd like to believe that if someone is building a business continuity plan through the uh, coaching the business continuity office may do program manager, they're, uh, providing the advice to the business continuity plan leads, you know, when selecting their team, they have to think about uh, their teams and the behaviors of their teams during real incidences. And they, you know, as I see it, have ultimate responsibility to operationalize your business continuity plan. And of course, to deal with any issues during activation, because there's lots of things that can happen during a business continuity activation. And you're, you know, you're trying to respond you know, so for example, if you had an IT failure, well, I'd expect uh, you have an IT contact in your BCP who can 
who you can call on demand and solve your problem. Um, if I was the business continuity lead and I lost a couple of my responders on my team, um, I would be reaching out to others within my own organization. In fact, we have a tab on our plan that lists other people in the company that are not named in our plan, but we can second who have the skill set that we need hmm. for our role, right? So this is about how deep you do, you go in your planning. You know, as you're as the leader of your submarine, if you wish, you've got to have you have to uh, be capable of 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 filtering out what's going on around you and be prepared for your own challenges because you can have cascading problems. You're dealing with a power outage, but at the same time, half your team doesn't show up. So now you can't solve that problem because your team's not there to do the solving. So I, I think it goes back to really about planning and having um, having uh, a good understanding of who within your department uh, can do the work as well as uh, secondary responders or a third a group of responders that uh, that are out in the organization. So if Alex, you used to work for me and now you're in marketing, marketing may not be an essential operation at the time of incident, but I'm at the front line. I'm going to say, Alex, I need you back for, for a week, you know, and away you go. And I notify you when I activate my plan to say, I've activated my plan. Things are fine right now, but I may need to tap you because I'm not sure where this incident is really going. And, and business continuity plans as a whole, you know, they're a jumping off point. I've always said you hit the ground running with them because as a situation evolves, they could be impacting your people, your resource capability, the tools you have, and you need to be ahead of that. Think forward to say, you know, um, I think I think I better, while this is going on, I better organize in the background here some secondary plans so that everything uh, does work at the end of the day. But without the people, uh, the resources, you're obviously going to be uh, handcuffed in, in responding in a timely manner, which is a key point. So I think with a shorter, smaller team, you can still do things. Now, I'm just going to add one thing around that. If you're doing incident management, and as I have been as an incident commander in my, in my uh, current employer for COVID, if Alex didn't show up to the meeting today, and he's a very important guy, you know, um, I'd be looking for your backup and if the backup didn't show up. I just pick up the phone, call uh, senior management VPS level and say, you know, you know what we're dealing with here. Send somebody now, find somebody and send somebody for me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't assign anybody to go look for it other than the VP of the group. And I tell him exactly what it is that I'm looking for him to send from a skill set perspective, experience perspective. And uh, if he doesn't send that person, then I will find someone myself or I'll sign someone for that role and, and they'll just do the best they can. And when everything is said and done and you do an after action report or worst case scenario, if you, you have a, a worst case scenario during the incident that was a result of that, then, you know, you've done the, you've done as a leader, as an incident manager, you've done your due diligence to try to mitigate that impact. It's interesting you mentioned the you find the common skill sets if your primaries and your backups aren't available. I tried to have that conversation with somebody at an insurance company many years ago, and they just said, oh, that's just stupid. We will always have people available. And I'm okay, if that's what you're assuming, fine. <laughs> but yeah. they were dead set against it. And I knew those skill sets were in another area because I know that that, that other area was actually taken out of the one I was actually right. addressing. So I went, they just created a new area, but they were in here. So I know they have this skill set, but oh, well. So I just want to comment though, what, what something you said that triggered something on my end. Um, obviously uh, we rely on resources to do the work and it's still a fit for duty. It, or, or think of it as an all hazards approach. It doesn't matter why um your emergency responders, your business continuity uh, folks, your IT uh, technicians, it doesn't matter why they don't show up. If you take the all hazards approach, they're just not available. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so the policy actually works for that particular one aspect of that, but it doesn't matter. They're just not available. So uh, you need to know what your options are. So that's why in our, our business continuity plans, I always recommend having some knowledge around the skill sets that you need and who in the organization can do it. But taking that one step further, which I've been trying to initiate, is that there should be a database within every company. In theory, everyone submits a resume. 
So if we can do some Power BI in the background, or we were able to take resumes and create a database of resumes, you know, and maybe Alex worked in a call center in his previous life, and I'm short call center people, I should be able to go to HR and say, who in the organization has a call center background? Do a bit of sorting through the database. Alex's name pops up. I don't even, I didn't even know that, but now I know. Call up Alex. Mm -hmm. I've got this problem. I need you. Let's talk to your manager and away we go. The challenge I found with that apparently, and again, I'm not a privacy officer, is that any information, and it's kind of weird because you do submit your resume to the company, but any of your career information beyond your employment with your current employer is considered privacy. Hmm. So you'd have to get everybody in the organization to consent, you know, to saying, can we use your resume for emergency use? It's like, you know, we, you have emergency contact if something happens to you, but you know, how do we leverage the, you know, your past experience? So uh, we came up with a plan. We'll try to try to get uh, when you, when you're onboarding a new employee, they should sign up and release their resume for that said purpose because that, you know, it's all about time and that would really be beneficial for lots of different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The other question I had for you, um, and I wrote about this at one point, I called it the Mighty Mouse Principle, you know, the the uh, super Superman, but as a mouse who used to sing, here I come to save the day. And in every disaster situation, I've seen it quite a few times, someone with a higher hierarchical title, a, a, a high one, tries to come in, has no idea what's going on. <laughs> you know, they're obviously not fit for duty to understand what needs to happen during a crisis, where they fit in, what their role is, but they try to take over. How do you manage a situation like that when you do have a team who has been through everything? They're all fit for duty. You've got the right people. And then all of a sudden, someone with a big title comes in and tries to take over. And it's obviously clear you're in the way. <laughs> How do you deal with that? Well, you're asking somebody who's been doing this for a very long time. And the first thing I'm going to say to you, Alex, that a um, a reactive a reactive response to which is what I interpret your situation to me, to me is, is very emotional. So, you know, they're just being emotional, but they, they, they jumping in and we, you know, we need to do lots of different things mm -hmm. and that really doesn't work well. But if you, if you apply the, you know, the coordinated response approach that results in, a, in, in the right action to, to, to start mitigating what's going on. Right. And and those that are closer to the front line with some structure and they're applying the situational awareness based on knowns and unknowns. Right. We know things and we don't know other things. I think that's, you know, the best approach to to get through it. And and I fall back to something I learned a long time ago, and that is we have a process and we're trying to follow our process. And if you. You know, and, and a lot of this discussion doesn't happen in the preference pref in the presence of the group. But th this goes back to the same other item. You know, it doesn't matter if they're at a C-level or management. You can get other employees that show up who want to take over. And at the end of the day, some, yeah, some, some emergency responders or business continuity folks, uh, they don't like doing tabletop exercises. You know, you've probably played sports where people don't like coming to practices, but when they come, they want to play the whole game when they show up to a real game. And, you know, and, and, and I say, well, you haven't we haven't seen you in our process, our defined process that we've been exercising. It's been confirmed. It's been signed off. Um, and, uh, you know, you're you're adding some risk to our ability to do this, the, manage it the the right way, not the easy way. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need to remove the behavior, the emotional out of this uh, and and follow along because uh, we we have a plan. You're right. Not a perfect plan. It's a you know jump, hit the ground running. So but this goes back to even awareness. Um, this goes back to if you have a good program, um, auditors are on board, risks on board. Uh, you're, you're regularly reporting your business continuity emergency management program up the ladder. They should be familiar with it, because I, in my experience, you know the 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 bull in the china shop occurs when people don't aren't even aware there's a plan, there's an incident command, that you know that we have defined procedures. 
so to me, that's, uh, you know, a very, a very important thing, which is why we should leverage things like business continuity awareness week and bring management to meet with the plan leads and the plan owners and the plan responders to have that inter- inter- interaction of discussion, get out of the silos, know how we work together, know your dependencies. I have to say that it's so rewarding when things are not working well and the team gets together and they clean that up organically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like a coach, you know, you, you work with the team all year long and, you know, in between games, when the players are on the ice or on the pitch, you just have to rely. They know what they're, they, that they know what they're doing. They're taking that learning and they're applying it and it starts, you know, right. top down. So uh, you, you have to, um, set expectations early and communicate them and be a little bit tactful too you you, you can't just turn around to the president and no go yeah you get know out it is. <laughs> but if you are you know if you are in those circles they understand what you bring to the table of value yeah because even even when i say i run my business continuity program at metrolinks you know we have 70 plus plans i don't own any one of them and when they're activated, they're all self-managed. So if they're individually activated, the BCP runs with it. They communicate with their BP, you know, they're, they're dealing with it. But if it's a bigger event, regional, it's affecting dozens of plans, then you you top that up with a bit of an instant command protocol, emergency operations center, and everything mm-hmm. is contained. Right. right. And, and that's really important when doing these things. And a fit for duty ties into a lot of this. Uh you don't want to tell your VP they're not fit for duty, but uh, <laughs> they aren't really, uh, we don't need them right now. Thank you very much. And we'll escalate yeah. as soon as we have any problems going back to your tactical approach. Right. Well, let's take the last uh, bit of our segment. We have uh, nine minutes left. Uh, are there any tips you can convey to our listeners that uh, uh, you know relate to this fit for duty? Anything you can convey? Well, uh, th- thanks. I think that's, this is really a, a great way to end off this session. I mean, I did mention um, it's really up to an organization to understand their appetite to actually put in a fit for duty policy, but having one in place can help organize organizations really uh, set the expectations for healthy and, and a safe workplace. Um, this is really, really important and you need to do it, you know, from the top down. Uh, I think it needs to be um, properly uh, staged, presented and, you know, and then eventually with the proper uh, communication material, you almost need a campaign around this to explain to everyone, you know, um, how important it is. You know, like, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't take an, get in an Uber or another public transit vehicle if I thought the driver was incompetent. You know, I I would get out of the car like, I, you know, I, I don't like what I'm seeing here. Right. You've got to think yeah. about being safe yourself. Uh, so it's very important um, to, to put in place the right educational uh, material, you know, a lot of Q&As uh, to all employees. And, and uh, you know, I know I mentioned all employees, but uh, we also rely on vendors and external resources and contractors mm. and partners. You know, so this, you know, I go back to COVID, which is a great experience, you know, from a safety point of view, we made up some rules and we said to our very important uh, partners, vendors, suppliers, all interchangeable. Uh, when you're coming to our site, you have to wear a mask. And that evolved to, okay, well, when you come into our site, you um, we're hoping that you're vaccinated. Well, we couldn't ask Alex to be vaccinated to come to work because that's a privacy question. But we could say to Alex's company, um, hey, Alex, uh, when you're sending people over to my business to do repair work because you're a very important vendor, please make sure they're vaccinated. That was your responsibility. So, mm. you know, the, the general rule applies. I mean, you got to think about it. It's all about uh, health and safety practices. You as an organization are not going to let anyone out uh, to represent your business if they're not fit for duty, if they can't present themselves in a very professional manner in the presence of your customers, because you would lose your business. Uh, you would lose that customer so fast, not to mention how your business could potentially decline if it got out that uh that you know you had staff that were coming to work uh, in altered states, however you choose to define that. You know, right. fatigue, medication, stress, uh, and going to do business, and and those those employees are causing more problems, which mm-hmm. then complicates even the greater. So, in this discussion right. of fit for duty, please do not forget um, uh, do not forget to think about your vendors. Uh, I, I did mention uh, make sure you check in with your the Canadian or provincial health community to understand, uh, you know, 
how they present this topic, which is definitely, uh, you know, um, definitely uh, on everybody's radar now that cannabis really being the big thing that has, has put uh, put uh, fit for duty in sort of a different type of lens. And for um, our U.S. listeners, I, w- I would recommend looking at their state as well, because there are some states that have, excuse me, legalized cannabis as well. So it applies to them. They should look at their local uh, health as well. Absolutely. Agencies. It- Make sure you have a champion within the organization with an HR, an individual to be in, you know, any group. This applies to both uh, uh, non-union labor staff and unionized staff. It doesn't matter if you work for a business. So having a champion or two or a web page dedicated to this to tie it. Don't do anything special with it, but tie it as part of your safety, you know, campaign. Because I think that's mm-hmm. really, you know, kind of really um, where it fits in. Um and, you know, while, you know, we have clauses in our contracts with vendors and partners, you know, about, about you know, doing things safely, do you want to, uh, you know, uh, fortify that with fit for duty? So mm-hmm. know up front before I hire company ABC to be in my, to be my HVAC mechanic, I got, maybe I'm going to change some, some words in my contracts to, to ensure that, you know, they are providing the, the fit for duty employees to support the safety, you know, uh, uh, safety perspectives that we have within our organization but uh, it isn't a one-time uh not a one-time uh kind of threat it's going to be ongoing going forward i think it's also very important in the policy it should be revisited um and it should be integrated perhaps with some other policies in an organization that you may have that you think that are relevant but uh, i think that um this will just help make the workplace much safer for everyone uh and uh, regardless if you're public facing or not, you could be a manufacturing plant, but you just want to make sure your people are safe at all times to deliver the work that they've been hired to do. Yeah, I, I like the uh, the part that you just mentioned, uh, you know, embed it into things that are existing because uh, sometimes it's easier to adopt right. things that way. Oh, that's just a new part of something I already know about. Oh, okay. Rather than here's all this new stuff and you try to dump it on and then people just kind of ignore it. That's oh, just something new. I'll get to it when I get to it. I'm just going to quickly add, you're absolutely right, Alex. That's a great point because this isn't, it's all there already. It, it, we're just spinning the words a bit differently, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're not healthy, expanding what does not, not be, what expanding what is an unsafe work environment. It isn't necessarily all about the equipment, not there, you know, there's a press there and I'm going to get my hand caught. It could be the person operating the press that's creating the unsafe environment for whatever reason. Right. So fit, only, for duty is, oh, go ahead. fit for duty, in my mind, does extend to emergency management, business continuity, responders, incident command personnel, emergency operations centers, you know, uh, anyone that, you know, is like the police department, you know, someone that you call on demand to show up, you want them to be fit to do that work under those circumstances and not worry about secondary things. Yeah, you, <laughs> I, I, I want my doctor or my nurse or paramedic or firemen, whoever, whoever shows up, uh, I want them clear of mind and alert. You know, I, I don't want them. Yeah. I was out late last night. You know, my eyes are red, you know, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence. <laughs> no. And, and as managers, we need to also learn how to, um, uh, you know, through fit for duty and these other uh, 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 elements that can, can cause that is we need to learn what, what the markers are to your point. Do you see the red eyes? You know, are they sleeping at their desk? Are they slurring their words? Do you see them drinking lots of water? You know, you need to, you know, ask those questions in advance or, you know, you know, pull the employee inside. And, you know, like the cost of sending them home with with a paid day outweighs the cost of litigation and a problem of downtime and, and production. I mean, it's all tied to business continuity. We've got two minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts? Take a minute for a final thought. I challenge everyone to, if 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 you haven't already done so, I challenge uh, to bring awareness to this to your management organizations and and try to apply some good basic practices because uh, it, it's a it's a matter of uh, of of it feeds into business continuity having the right people available to do the right work at the right time. So I think it's it's eliminating another risk that we really haven't thought about considered presented as an emerging risk, if you wish. Mm-hmm. Well, considering a, a lot of the stress that some people are under these days because of because of COVID, um, prices going up, um, so many other things happening in the world, that yeah, yeah, this could 
impact people and people we we may not even um, think of that could be impacted by this, you know, that, you know, are having a tough time. And if they're trying to manage a disaster, that's going to come through. And to your point about tough time trying to manage, you know, it could be a homegrown problem, however you define that, yeah. you know, and the organizations, you know what, they are there to help you. Don't be afraid to use your employee assistant program. Don't be afraid to bend your boss's ear. You know, um, you're not alone. This, this, all this ties into the mental health well-being. You know, yeah. so uh, leverage those tools available in the workplace to help. You know, if you need help, get help. There's nothing wrong with it. We're in yeah. an age where we're, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of distractions, a lot of pressure. Um, step back and think of yourself. And on that note, that's the perfect spot to end today's show. Vito, thank you so much. This is really an interesting uh, topic. Um, I'm glad you reached out. I'm glad we touched base at CRT to to get you back on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. I I appreciate you uh, uh, allowing this topic to be heard because I think it's important in the community that we, we share thoughts and ideas and we process them on our own terms for the right reasons. So thank you. Uh, You're very welcome. And thank you again. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.